black thing go from left to right, and I thought, I'm going to die out here. No one's ever going to know. I couldn't believe what my eyeballs were showing me. I'll never forget how evil the eyes were. It was horrible. I mean, I've never seen nothing that evil. It ran towards me at a, at a rate that I, I I can't even explain. Turned and stared at me, and this look of I just want to kill you. I want to say it was human, but it wasn't. He was he was he was yelling at me to grab a gun, grab a gun. I was like, for what? He said, just grab a gun. And there's footprints all the way to the door of my house. It had went inside my garage, all the way to the door. 911, what are you reporting? Jesus Christ, you better... Sir? Yeah. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh-oh. You're listening to Sasquatch Chronicles. Check us out online at sasquatchchronicles.com. If you've had an encounter, email me. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. I'm back. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. I'm back from the International Bigfoot Conference. Had a blast. I mean, Russell, I want to give a shout out to Russell Cord really quick. He does such a great job at putting on a very smooth, very cool conference. Um, and I see the stress behind the scenes, but you'd never know it going to the conference. I mean, everything runs smoothly. Vendors are happy. Speakers are happy. I mean, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. And I sure hope he does it next year. Uh, so, Russell Cord, thank you for inviting me. Uh, you're gracious enough to invite me. Uh, and, and, you know, it's you're beyond kind to everyone. You know, I see how you treat the speakers, how you treat Bob, how you treat – you're just so kind to everyone. Thank you so much, Russell. I, I can't say enough about the conference. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Miriam. I hope you made it home safe. Miriam's mother, it was nice talking to you on the phone. She flew out all the way from uh, Connecticut. Had a great time. Bethany, another one, uh, larger than life. Uh, uh, Bethany, it was great meeting you. Thank you so much for coming out to the conference. And I want to shout-out my boys in the U.K., James and Tom. Uh, James came down and and we talked for a long time and had a great time. Guys, thanks so much. And I wish I could shout out everyone. The fans are too good to me. You guys are too kind, too sweet. Um, and I really appreciated meeting everyone I met. And it was just, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. My favorite part of the conference, they, they showed this video of, um, it's Bob Gimlin. And I remember when Bob and Russ were, let me pull up the name of it real quick. Bob Gimlin, the legend of Bigfoot. And so uh, they, Russell and I knew about this way before it was actually put out. And they were telling me about the concept of Bob narrating what happened up there on the mountain when they got the film. And there's a lot of cool things in the film I don't think most people know. Um, but it was – and I remember when I, they first told me about it, I was like, I don't know, guys. An animated film um, – I don't know. My heart sank a little bit, and I was like, I don't know how this turned out, guys. You know I'll support you either way, but I, I really hope it's not hokey. And I didn't think it would be because Russell's very uh, – he wants to make sure you know Bob is 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 classy and everything he's involved in is classy. So he, he does watch after Bob, but I got to tell you, it was awesome. 
the film was freaking awesome. Uh, it was so cool to see. And the animation was cool because it put you right in the moment. And Bob's telling the story and he's narrating what's happening. And there's just so much to what actually happened. You know, and Bob's told me about when they were leaving, they got stuck in the mud and there was mudslides. And he didn't really uh, – when you watch the film, you're like, you guys are lucky to be alive. You're lucky you didn't get washed down that mountain. Um, I had a great time. Uh, and I hope Netflix or someone picks it up because uh, I, I think the audience, the people out there, the fans of Bob would love to see this film. I mean, it was awesome. Uh, so I had a great time. I want to thank uh, all the fans again. I wish I could shout out everyone. I, I really do appreciate you guys. You guys are Sasquatch Chronicles. Uh, the fans really are Sasquatch Chronicles. And it was so cool to see the shirts and people love the show. It meant a lot to me. It really, really meant a lot to me. I want to thank you guys. But tonight I got Travis Walton. I'll play my interview for you guys uh, here in a moment. Uh, but Travis Walton, Fire in the Sky. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie. I want to say it came out in the late 80s, early 90s of when he was actually abducted by an uh, aliens. Uh, and it's a fascinating account. I realize it's a Bigfoot show, but it was Travis Walton. I was like, I got to get this guy. <laughs> I got to hear this. You know, I've been a fan of that encounter for so long. And it, it's always fascinated me, always fascinated me. So I hope you guys enjoy my interview with him tonight. Uh, and if you haven't seen the Fire in the Sky movie, go go watch it. And then I'll also be talking to uh, Adam Davis. Adam is uh, I love Adam. He, you know, I've, it's been a while since he's been on the show. He'll be sharing his uh, the, the things he's been doing recently. Some expeditions. We'll talk about the Ring Pendek. We'll talk about the Almas and uh, Neanderthals. And Adam's just a great guy to talk to. Uh, so I hope you guys really enjoy the show tonight. Let's jump into it. Here's my interview with Travis Walton. Take a listen. Travis, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I know it's late. It's uh, For the audience listening, it's after 10 o'clock, but um, it's been a long day, so... Thank yeah, you. well, thanks for having me, and, you know, uh, it's kind of unusual for me to, you know, attend a, um, a Bigfoot conference, but... Uh, it's um, there's a actually a, you know things in common with the UFO community. Yeah. It's a group of people who frequently confronted the uh, resistance of of uh, the general public to something that uh, they in their personal lives know to be uh, yeah. true. Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of correlations, you know. And I've talked to a lot of people who've actually either encountered them aliens i'm talking about either encountered them or abductions and i my heart goes out to them because it's one of those situations to where you don't know what the right thing to say is you don't really know what the right thing to because it's hard to relate unless it's happened to you it's very very hard to relate wouldn't you agree with that i mean no one can say hey travis i know how you felt well unless you were hit by a a light coming out of a craft and taken away for five days. No, you don't know. You have no clue what it, what it's like. You know? Well, you know, I think, you know, in spite of the fact that uh, the Paramount movie, you know, had some fictional departures from the what really happened, I think it does uh, leave people with the kind of emotional impact that we actually experienced. Yeah. And, you know, in that sense, a movie is a kind of a vicarious uh, sharing of uh, experience that people can 
you know, better relate to uh, to what happened. And I noticed that in the aftermath of the showing of the movie going public, that uh, people did seem to identify more with what we'd been through. Yeah. And I want to ask you, before we get into the encounter, and you're gracious enough to share the encounter, and I, I'm well aware you've shared it a million times, and you're probably sick of talking about it, but um, up on the Mogollon Rim, when you guys were doing lumber, and, and you guys were tearing down trees, and you guys were up there, did you ever experience anything beyond just aliens? I mean, was there any um, Bigfoot-type vocals, or did you ever experience anything odd up there? Well, I've certainly heard reports from other people who have shared their experiences. You know, there was a, a young man on another crew who was pretty traumatized by what he described as uh, definitely uh, an encounter with a large, hairy creature. Yeah. I personally haven't seen such a thing, but uh, uh, I've heard many stories over the years. And, you know, I heard about the what's called the Mogollon Monster uh, for years before anybody even coined the term Bigfoot, you know, for these large, hairy beings. Yeah. And you still hear about that today, the Mogollon monster up on the Mogollon Rim. I mean, there's still encounters to the to this day of people running into it. But would you take us back, Travis, to that that night when you guys were leaving the area? And what I find fat well, and I don't want to take too much of the story out, but you guys are leaving an area, and the light's so bright, you guys think it's a fire. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, it wasn't especially bright. It was just a glow that was out of place in the woods. You know, normally you just wouldn't see any kind of light. Um, it, um, I, um, one of the first thoughts was maybe some deer hunters, you know. It was deer hunting season. We'd heard shots in the distance that day, and that was the first thought. But the light was coming from higher up than any sort of a you know tent or campfire would have been. So it was well above ground level. And uh, it recalled to mind for us, you know, our encountering a tree that had been hit by lightning uh, the night before and was on fire up up high. And we, you know, we got out and put the fire out, of course, but uh, um, that's where the name of the movie Fire in the Sky came from, is that, you know, we were wondering if this was uh, a similar fire that had uh, uh, started. But that was just an initial impression. We were just, nothing, nothing that we... Um, could come up with that it might be, you know, could it be the sun going down? But, you know, that was quite a bit earlier. Uh, could it be the moon? No, we can see that in a different direction, you know. Any any sort of a thing. Uh, it wasn't all alarming or anything that, at first. That any, It was just kind of like idle curiosity at first. But the longer it went, the more it wasn't fitting in with things and the more focused the the attention of the whole crew became on what the heck could that glow be? Was it uh, was it like a red color? Was it? Can you describe the no, color? No, no, the, the uh, Paramount movie made it look uh, like molten lava. It was described by you know um, uh, some of the crew as looking like molten metal, but it was more the color of like um, uh, white hot, you know like molten steel being, you know, poured liquid, you know, when it's so so hot that there's barely any yellow to it anymore. It's it's giving off a, almost a white light. 
but it, it never looked like uh, it was depicted in the movie, which looked more like a, a pool of red molten lava, and that that's that wasn't accurate. When you saw the lights, was it coming from a certain part of the craft, or well, go ahead and just tell us what happened, and then I'll. Well, I don't want to. Cu- I feel like I'm cutting ahead. You know, you know, just um, idle curiosity. I wonder what that could be, and then I said, Mike, hurry up and get up there where we can see what it is because i could see that the light was coming through a break in the trees and it was sort of washing across the road ahead so i um knew that um you know at that point we'd have a clear view of the source of the light so um closer we got to that the more you know uh intense the crew's uh, attention became and when we got to that point you know, we, I call it burst into the clearing in a way that you know we could suddenly see it, and it was just there was just no mistake in what we were looking at. Uh, one of the guys in the back, um, I think it was Alan Dallas, yelled out, "It's a flying saucer, or it's a spaceship, something like that." Um, it, as if anybody needed to say what it was. It was there. That was less than a hundred feet away, a, a glowing metallic disc, and not you know unmistakable. And uh, the, uh, the the skeptic uh, suggestion that what we actually saw was the planet Jupiter is just laughably <laughs> absurd. Yeah. You know, there's just no way. This was not a tiny point of light off in the distance. This was a clearly defined object. Yeah, that argument might hold up to like an eight-year-old, but not to a grown man, you know, especially when you see that. But what compelled you? So you guys pull up, you guys see this thing, and most people have seen the movie, but... You guys see this thing, and it's hovering. What compelled you to get out of the truck? Was it just curiosity, or um, I th- I'd say curiosity had a whole heck of a lot to do with it, and an assumption that this thing was going to take off and be gone uh, in a very short period of time. You know, very often the crew is uh, driving down the road and will catch sight of some animal and you know try to say hey look over there it's a bobcat or whatever and by the time their attention is you know directed in that in that direction it it's already gone so it was my thinking when i got out of that truck heading towards it that this thing would be gone before i had gone very far um a couple of the other guys uh, have insisted that to them it looked like i was in some kind of a trance you know but, you know, turning around, looking back at the crew, I'd, I'd say everybody looked entranced, you know what I mean? We were, you know, in complete awe of what we were seeing. It was astonishing, you know, and the, the look on our face, everybody's face probably would have been one of total astonishment. So, um... I bet looking back, you wish Dallas would have gotten out. <laughs> yeah. He's a bad guy in the movie for everyone. And I asked Travis about Dallas, but I'm not trying to, like... I don't want to bash Dallas, but I, I remember thinking, I wish he would have gotten out instead of, why Travis have to get out? Why couldn't that guy get out? Um, because, you know, like what, the way the movie played it off, you're like, I want to see that guy hit with a beam of light. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely had my um, um, confrontations with him. You know, he could be um, uh, somebody to contend with at, at times. And, and, uh, that was the case with him. 
Yeah, no, I can imagine. So you get out, you're looking at this thing, and um, at what point it hits you with the light? Everyone's seen it in the movie. It hits you with the light. Can you describe the sound of the craft sitting there and describe what it felt like hitting you with that light? Because of the way it's very violent in the movie. When it hits you, it throws the actor through the air. And I'm- oh, no, actually, I'd say it was more violent in that strange than the movie portrayed it. I think the the problem was they were afraid somebody might be looking down at their popcorn and missed that the point in the in the movie, and so they tried to drag it out. They made it look like the light came on and held the actor there and kind of just you know held him for a little bit before it tossed him back. But it, it, it was more, you know, from what everybody describes it as just a blast of energy that just threw me through the air so violently that they immediately concluded that it had killed me. You know, he's dead. They said that they were yelling at each other. He's, he's dead. It killed him. And um, there, there, was, there was no mistaking that. You know, John's description of my body landing like a sack of meat, you know, like there wasn't a bone in my body, you know, uh, spoke to the fact that, you know, the violence of it was so powerful, you know, to th- literally throw you through the air uh, 15 or 20 feet is, uh, you know, I, I find no fault with those guys taking off at that point. They they did what anybody with any smarts would do is just get the heck away from the danger. There's no point in getting somebody else killed to save a dead man. Yeah, I understand that. I guess to a point, and and I think you're very forgiving saying that because I think deep down I would still hold some resentment that the guys left me there. But I and I think you're a very big man saying that. Um, what did it feel like to be hit with that light? Can you describe for someone who's never seen the movie, doesn't know what we're talking about? This light comes out of this craft, hits you, throws you through the air. For the audience, can you describe what that felt like? Well, you know, uh, anybody who's worked on machinery or, or um, worked around various things might have might have felt what it's like to get shocked with some electricity, you know. Um, touch a, a wire, some frayed insulation or something. It had an electric shock sort of a feeling if you've ever touched a sparklet wire or something like that. But at the same time, quite a bit like a physical blow. If you've ever been run into uh, violently, you know, didn't see it coming. The sudden stunning shock of that uh, all all rolled into one. But, you know, very quickly, you know, losing consciousness. Can I ask you two? There's two questions I want to ask you. One is, did the craft make a sound? Yeah, yeah, it did. You know, and uh, the closer I got to it, the more I became aware of the sound it was making. Um from our point in the truck, hearing that, the higher pitches were more, um, you know, a dominant part of the sound. But it was a very complex sound, a mixture of high tones and low tones that actually seemed to go off the range of human hearing, both on the high end and the low end. And uh, um, very hard to describe. I once gave a talk to a group of engineering students at a technical institute, and they were keenly interested in the type of sounds. I worked as hard as I could to de- describe it uh, to them in a, in a way that would be meaningful. I think what they were looking for is some clue as to what 
powered this thing in terms of lift and you know propulsion and whatnot. But um, a real high pitched sort of a sound that sort of seemed to change with the position of your head. Uh, um, a very deep throbbing um, um, element to it that you you felt in your body. Uh, as much as heard in your ears and, and uh, uh, some of the guys in the truck said you could feel it vibrating the truck with that um, frequency yeah I can't imagine being in that group I'd be terrified especially seeing you thrown through the air and I'll, my heart goes out to a lot of those guys because you get the impression and you knew them Travis so you know I'm kind of talking out of my butt here but uh, you get the impression most of them were pretty good guys, and they really were concerned about you. They really were worried about you. They were, even though they thought you were dead. Um, can I ask you before we talk about what happens next? Why do you think they hit you with that beam of light? Well, I, I'm not so certain anymore that they had hit me with a uh, in any sort of a deliberate firing of a weapon. Although that's one possibility. I went through a whole range of possibilities of what this energy might be and some some people trying to explain it away um actually come up with some pretty <laughs> unusual concepts you know the mogyan rim being a giant fault line there uh it was speculated that there had been some kind of an earthquake and that this was like what they call earthquake lights uh, where you know it, the stories of it's, it generates a, a kind of a like a earth to sky sort of a lightning bolt uh, generated by the you know torsion in, in the rocks underneath the earth um, supposedly trying to explain this away of course um, some of this energy came up out of the earth came through my body and caused me to hallucinate and this was a pretty elaborate theory that uh, uh, Dr. Persinger uh, came up with but uh, just fails miserably in in explaining how could uh, seven people have the same hallucination certainly this supposed earthquake light couldn't have passed through them too uh, you know it just it, it just didn't make any sense but um that's one possibility another possibility that it actually was actual lightning since that part of the Mogollon rim there has the second highest frequency of lightning strikes of any place in the continental United States, if that was um, lightning caused by this feature, uh, perhaps um, it had actually struck the craft and then as a secondary discharge passed through me on its way to ground. There's um, a number of possibilities. Um, the descriptions that were given by the lawmen inter uh, interviewing these people and putting in their report was, you know, one described it as looking like a foot-wide blue laser beam, another describing it as looking like a long blue flame, uh, another described it as being like a, like a lightning bolt. And so, you know, this blast of energy, it was actually also compared to, like, stepping on a landmine or, um, you know, something of that nature. So you get hit with this light, the guys take off, and what's your next memory that you remember? Well, you know, it's uh, 
Not my favorite part of the description, but I woke up on board the craft. Uh, didn't know where I was at first. Eventually, you know, came to remember approaching the craft and then thinking that perhaps I'd somehow been injured and taken to a hospital because I knew I was on some kind of raised surface. Then I felt this device across my chest. There was a light above me. The ceiling seemed closer than it ought to be, so it seemed like uh, I was on some sort of raised surface, not laying on the floor, but in a very, you know, half there, in and out sort of a um, barely conscious sort of a feeling. At the same time, um, feeling a lot of pain, you know, a feeling of suffocation. Um, a feeling of impending danger or something that uh, generated a, a tremendous amount of fear in me. But you know, what, what could be wrong? What, what are the what are the doctors up to? Thinking I'm in a hospital, thinking that these are doctors I'm I'm hearing moving around me. But when I my vision finally cleared and I could see these beings, you know, I just uh, I knew where I was and it was. It, incredible burst of fear and adrenaline that uh, went through my body that uh, gave me enough strength to get off of the table. Uh, this device they had on top of me it fell off. And I just uh, grabbed for something to defend myself with, flailing at them, and, you know, making threatening, striking sorts of movements. They, at that point, had begun to approach me, but, you know, hadn't really um, gotten close enough to where I could, within striking distance. I was just flailing away in a way to sort of uh, try to scare them away from coming any closer, screaming the whole time, just, you know, basically out of my mind with fear, just totally hysterical, uh, you know, to the max, maximum fear, more, more fear than I've ever felt any time in my entire life. But it was the feeling of being mortally wounded that something was terribly wrong inside that, uh, and then feeling trapped. But above all, the feeling of suffocation. Nothing adds to panic more than the feeling of suffocation. You know, I've made the comparison to waterboarding, some, uh, you know, uh, an interrogation technique that, you know, everybody involved knows it's not going to be fatal they've even trained for it but it still works because um, it uh, generates a, a level of fear that's like nothing else uh, so you know this over the top fear uh, in this dimly lit environment very cramped quarters um, a real a real um, claustrophobic sort of feeling but um, my my driving uh, thought at that moment was escape of course they um, left the room abruptly hopefully you know as a response to my uh, combativeness I went looking for a way out I encountered a, another type of being that I at first took to be a human being. And in, in later, you know, thoughts, um, I think that these were probably 
not actual humans, but some a type of being close enough to, I think, probably uh, just chosen because I took them to be human and that I, you know, um, became less combative, of course, you know, that uh, if they if they were were trying to in some way give me some sort of medical treatment and help me to recover from the effects of being hit with that energy, then then it was important that I uh, cooperate. And I, once I became combative with these small creatures, and my fear of them was not going to be overcome in any timely manner. So I, I think, you know, whether these, you know, people have offered various theories, these human-looking beings were actually some sort of a, an illusion or a, uh, some sort of mechanical or um, other sort of method just used to make me think that something that looked kind of human would um, help me out of there. But uh, whatever it was, whatever these beings were, I don't think it's too far-fetched for there to be alien creatures quite similar to humans. I also don't think that it's too far-fetched for there to be various things that get lumped into the category of, quote, grays that are actually... Um, very similar species that just, um, you know. Um, Can I ask you a question? So the first entities you ran into were not human-looking. They were very much like what people describe as the small grays that were that you ran into. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah. Did if you could have got your hands on one of them, do you think you would have killed one of them? If you well, got- I, I think you know they were probably even in my weakened condition like that. You know, my advantage being so much larger than them was was so clear cut, and you know probably would have done a lot of serious harm. And on top of that, um, I, I think that they probably were trying to gain some sort of telepathic control. And I've heard you talk about that, and they couldn't. There's a couple questions I want to ask. One, the the feeling of suffocation. Do you think that was because of your injuries, or do you think that was because of the ship you were on? Well, uh, I don't know. It could be either one. You know, it could have been on account of the injuries. But um, I'm today in discussions with artists about recreating these scenes. Um, it became more obvious to me that it was probably more likely to do with some sort of a quality in the atmosphere inside that craft because I did notice a fairly clear-cut difference once I exited the craft. Um, it, well, know, and I want to feeling oh, much better as far as being able to breathe. Yeah, and I don't mean to cut you off, and I want to get to that. So you run into these alien. Um, and they don't show this part in the movie, and I wish they would have because it's it's fascinating to me. And and what you said is the first thing I thought of. I thought maybe the Greys. Here's my theory. Here's my hibbilly theory. Uh, maybe the Greys went back and said, "This guy's freaking out. Send in someone that looks more human like, yeah. so he won't freak out." But what what do you think, Travis? I mean, you were there. I mean, I don't know. You were there. Do you think it was a separate entity that you ran into, or do you think? They were presenting themselves as human to get you to calm down a little bit and stop fighting. Well, you know, the, the first alternative you offered there is is probably just the most simplest. You know that that the 
there being, I think, uh, quite a wide variety of uh, types of beings uh, visiting this planet and, uh, you know, probably uh, quite a bit of uh, intercommunication amongst them as distinct from having uh, very limited communication with Earth people. And so it, the easiest thing would just be find somebody that uh, can gain his trust and, and get, him, get him back under anesthesia and uh, get these uh, medical problems dealt with. Well, what's fascinating is you do, and I don't know the alien community as much as I know the Bigfoot world, but I know in the alien community, there is a type of alien that looks more human-like. What do they call it? They call it the... Um, well, they they're, nowadays they're calling them Nordics, uh, but uh, you know I don't think they had that term back then. Uh, as well, the, uh, the term greys, uh, I don't think they had that term. I'd never heard such a thing. Um, and you know, I never even described them as being quote gray. It was some grayish white, maybe. You know, they were very pale uh, in their uh, you know coloring. And when you looked into the eyes of those beings, I mean, could you see there was intelligence, or was it just black? Oh, there was definitely an intelligence. It wasn't just black, you know. And I, I know many people describe them as having just a, just a solid black eye, but. Uh, these these beings definitely had um, an iris, a pupil, eyelids that blinked, and um, it's my theory that they're being there in their own environment that that they at that point didn't need the kind of black eye covering that probably explains uh, the appearance of other ones that are called grays that. You know, see, anything with really large eyes is probably something that exists for most of the time in a very low-light environment, you know, something that lives deep under the sea or a cave-dwelling animal or something that's strictly nocturnal is more likely to have a very large eye. So these large eyes on these this type of beings, the so-called greys, suggest to me, and even their pallor, uh, the, the paleness suggests low levels of light. And so um, in their own you know, comfortable environment, would not have this sort of sunglasses kind of a filter even necessary. So that, that could be one explanation. Uh, the whole story fascinates me. So you you run into, you, you end up acting like you're going to fight these greys, even though you're really in no condition to fight. But you put up a good fight, and they leave. So you leave the room. You go into this other room, and you run into a human-looking creature. But he doesn't talk to you. He never once even says anything to you. Did you When you walked up to him, and I know because I've heard you talk about it in interviews, and I got your book, but you're trying to communicate with this guy. You're like, let's get the hell out of here. Right. And... Did he ever look at you, or did his expression ever change when he... Yeah, his expression did change. It seemed to be, you know, sort of a sympathetic but sort of a tolerant attitude because, you know, here I'm acting hysterical. I'm basically a raving maniac, so he's not um, um, communicating, but, you know, I thought mostly likely because of this helmet that he was wearing. And... um, thinking, well, maybe he can't talk with that on or hear clearly with it on. So, uh, you know, I 
I wasn't too alarmed by the lack of uh, response to my questioning, um, even, even, even though I was out of my mind and hysterical and yelling, or, you know, um, I kind of on one level understood that I wasn't exactly <laughs> something to have uh, a calm conversation with. So um, I went with him. Um, you know, it was clear to me that, you know, he was going to lead me out of there, and that was exactly what I wanted, get me out of here. Well, and here's the interesting part of the story. So when you met up with this guy, you guys walked, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, Travis, but you guys walk out of the craft you were in almost into a bigger craft, like it had been docked. Mm-hmm. And I know you had mentioned several times you could almost breathe, like the air was, you could finally breathe some air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you think that was because of the atmosphere in that other craft compared to this cramped little disc you were in being kind of stuffy? Do you think it was just more airflow going through there, or do you think it was more of... Um, there could be, it could have actually been a, a, a much higher level of oxygen. There had to have been some oxygen in there. I mean, it was possible to survive, but it just seemed easier breathing um, once once we exited that craft. And the other question I want to ask you, um, sorry, I felt like such a fanboy. I'm like, let me ask you, let me ask you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the humanoid creature you ran into, the entity, could he pass for a human? If you threw a jacket on him and let him walk down the street? Yeah, he certainly could, yeah. He would pass for human. Once I saw more of his kind together, it was kind of odd to me that they had a sort of a resemblance. You know, even though this guy might have, you know, stood out a little bit from people, when you see a bunch of them together and they're all similar and like family sort of resemblance, that that's kind of odd. You know, you don't normally see that. You know, when we encounter a group of adults, uh, they can vary pretty dramatically in their appearance. That's interesting. So you thought that it actually looked like these were his siblings because they had similar appearance. Yeah, some, um, some kind of a, a similarity that was, you know, greater than chance. And so he walks you back, and I can and I can put myself in your position. I mean, him looking human like I probably would have followed him too. Uh, but they lead you back. And then what happens next, and do you ever see the grays again? No, I didn't ever see the grays again. I think uh, the not not to say that I know for sure they weren't continuing to be involved, uh, but um, whether these uh, human-looking individuals completely took over what I think was probably some sort of a medical process, something involved in so, uh, in trying to correct the damage done from that blast of energy or whether you know they turned me back to the custody of these small creatures uh, maybe their technology was better at uh, dealing with the problem but um I, d- I do believe that you know that feeling of being wounded you know was the main um um factor there that that the difference between how i felt once I was rendered unconscious there to when I uh, came to again. Well, explain that. So they walk you into a room, this guy, you're walking with him. And what happens? You walk into a room full of human-looking, kind of similar 
you know, and, and what happens? Well, what the happens? beings that he left me with uh, did not wear helmets like him. So at that point, there was no more reason to think that they would have any justifiable reason not to respond to my questions. Because so I was, you know, extremely anxious, even though I was in the custody of what I believed to be rescuing humans. Um, still, um, if, you know, it's reasonable to expect you're going to tell me, what what are you doing with me? What's becoming of me? Am I going to, you know, am I going to be okay? What's going on? And to get nothing in response sort of started renewing my my panic and, and fear about what what uh, you know was in store for me and so what happens next he walks into this room you see other humans or human like creatures and what happens next what do they do next well they tried to get me to lay on this table and you know I just come off of a table where I felt extremely trapped and I, I was not going to cooperate until they would tell me something, you know. So I started saying, you know, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this. You've got to tell me what, what are you doing? What, what, what are you doing with me? And they wouldn't answer, and they were trying to force me onto the table then. And so then I started really resisting, and uh, I was in a pretty weakened state, and uh, I think they were probably. Pretty, pretty strong beings. They felt very strong and didn't really have that much trouble getting me down on that table, putting this mask over my face, which caused me to lose unconsciousness. So, you know, it's nothing special. Just a mask, um, like a, like an oxygen mask. Uh, uh, no, no hoses that I could see connected to it, but something in it uh, caused me to lose consciousness. Do you wake up on the road after that? Yeah, yeah, I woke up on the road. But, you know, how soon after? You know, I had no way of knowing how much time had passed. Was this mere minutes after? Probably yeah. not, because, uh, you know, that pain and uh, feeling of being wounded was gone. But, you know, was it a matter of hours, days? At that point, I, I had no clue how long I'd been gone once... Um, I made my way to phone booth and and my family came to get me. Um, they could tell that I was under the impression this was still the same night as uh, when the uh, incident began. But that's when I learned that no, five days had gone by. And that's a part, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you that. Because I'm sure at the time... You weren't thinking about pain or how much pain you were in, but looking back now at that moment, you weren't in as much pain as you were on the ship. It's almost like they fixed you. Right. That's what. That's what I think. You know, happened. Yeah. And uh, you know, because of the the memory of the level of fear and panic that I was in, you know, it was a, a lasting trauma. You know, that stayed with me for quite some time. It took me. You know, months, actually years probably, to just really, you know, come to connect with the idea that uh, that uh, what happened there had to do with trying to correct the damage that this blast of uh, energy had caused. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you that because I always thought, you know, you hear people being abducted and, you know, they're almost like a lab rat. But in your case, it almost seems like... And, and please correct me if I'm wrong because I wasn't there, but 
it almost seems like they were trying to help you. They were trying to fix what, you know, maybe some new guy pressed a button and you got hit with the laser and they did, they were like, well, we got to, you know, we can't leave them here. We got to, um, it almost feels like they were try, trying to help you. I mean, do you feel that way now or do you feel yeah, like? Yeah, you know, because, you know, although whatever the circumstances were, it, it seems to have been an accident. Um, I'm sure they would have better ways of, you know, um, incapacitating. If, if all they did was just want to take somebody aboard, I, I don't think they would use that powerful of a blast. I do think it was some kind of an in accident, some kind of a unexpected thing that caused a degree of harm beyond what was expected. And, um, and then, you know, the nearest hospital was over an hour away. Probably what happened there would have been permanently fatal uh, without their intervention with technology that was capable of reversing that incredible level of uh, trauma. Do you ever um, look back now as not the young man, Travis, but, you know, after time has gone by and do you ever look back and go, I wish that would have never happened. I wish that night would have never because it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know, because you have become the face of, I don't want to say alien encounters, but you really have. You've op- you've opened the door for people who didn't have the heart to come out and talk about either an abduction or seeing something. And you were kind of the one of the guys to step forward and say, hey, the, you know, not necessarily by choice, but you step forward and say, hey, this happened to me. Do you ever look back on it and go, if I could go back in time? I would have avoided that whole situation. I would have never, never got out of the truck. I would have told Mike to go the opposite direction. Absolutely. You know, um, in spite of, you know, you always have to try to make the best of any situation and, 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 and go forward. You know, I'd, I'd still rather it never happen. But, you know, facing... And coming to grips with the fact that it did happen and there's no escaping it. I can't undo what happened. I've got to move forward and, and make the best of it as best I can. So, you know, I've, just, I've kind of, you know, been on a mission, so to speak. Uh, not to sound, you know, highfalutin, but, you know, a, a determination to um, um, educate as many people and try to make something good come of it. To, to help people realize it's just a real fundamental thing that this phenomenon is real, that we're not alone in the universe, and that, uh, you know, as hard as it was to come to the conclusion that uh, it's probably not any sinister intention. You know, I've, I've thought um, long and hard about this, decades, and uh, I really uh, think that if they had any bad intentions we'd never know what hit us i mean with that level of technology if they wanted planet earth for themselves there'd be nothing we could do about it didn't you know it, it, the idea that they would need to carry on some sinister plot that would take decades is just ridiculous to me so um, also the mere fact that they would possess the kind of technology on such a vast scale that if they had not uh, grown well beyond the sort of warlike and um, you know tendencies that humans have, 
they would have destroyed themselves. So the mere fact that they're still alive, still there, means that they've gotten beyond that. And, uh, and you know, I've always had a, a faith that, that uh, doing good is the smart thing to do. <laughs> and if they are so much smarter than us, then probably um, their moral and ethical development has kept pace with their technological process and progress. What do you think that they are? Do you think it's really another life form from a different planet, or do you get the sense that this was something else? Yeah, you know, I, I do think that they are... That's the most likely, the simplest explanation, that there are another life form from another planet. Probably not traveling in any conventional way we would recognize, but you got to take into consideration just how advanced they could be. You know, it's been pointed out that almost everything technological that we have is only a few hundred years old. And if you can picture that we've come this far in that short a period of time, how far would we, or them, be able to go in hundreds of thousands of years? Millions. I mean, who could begin to guess what kinds of advances that would be made? And uh, the, the ability to move from place to place could take some surprising um, forms for for a technology that advanced. It could be involve something that we might call interdimensional or time travel or something of that nature. You know, the basic laws of physics become um, uh, anybody's game <laughs> at that point. You know, there's, there's, there's so far beyond anything we can begin to imagine. So, um, yeah... Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't um, it? People that try to explain away will know this This can't be, I don't want it to be, so, you know, try to explain it as something else. So. Well, you you have to realize, too, it's it's uncomfortable to hear a Travis Walton story. It's very uncomfortable because it's out of our norm. It's like hearing a Bigfoot encounter. It's not mm -hmm. supposed to be. That's not supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing with these. Did did anyone come to you from the government tell you to shut your mouth? Quit talking about this. Not to me, but I, I think some of the crew got uh, indications that uh, to try to suppress it, you know. And, and there, you know, basically most of it came in the form of uh, attacks in the public to try to discredit us and, uh, um, you know, you know, fundamental basic propaganda techniques, you know, ridicule. Um, character assassination, you know, just the, the stuff you see in politics every day. Well, the problem is, is it doesn't fit too well. You know, you, you, it's almost like if someone, if I didn't believe in aliens and someone was telling me, well, there's a fault line up there on the Mongolian rim or Mongolian rim and uh, lightning came down and it just makes more sense that it maybe an alien ship actually did show up. You know what I mean? It's like you try so hard to explain yeah. well, away. You know, everything they tried to throw at us, you know, was was explainable way away in a in a way that made the the explainer seem kind of silly. Yeah, it to does. even be put this forward, you know, to try to claim that uh, it was any form of hallucination is absurd because 
seven people are just not going to have the same hallucination. And never mind that um, I had uh, medical tests uh, through official agencies that proved there wasn't a trace of any drug in my body whatsoever. Well, and that always cracks me up because you hear that in Bigfoot encounters. They're like, what were you smoking? What were you drinking? Listen, I've drank a lot, and I've smoked a lot in my life, and I've never had delusions of grandeur about aliens or so it's such a ridiculous argument that sometimes these skeptics come forward with trying to say well you know he was they were on something or well seven guys aren't gonna all like you said seven guys aren't gonna all hallucinate the same story it just doesn't doesn't make sense yeah and you know just explanation after explanation just flies in the face of um, documentable facts you know my and i'm it's so thankful you showed back up or they let you go. Uh, because my heart did go out to those guys. Because when you watch the movie, I can almost put myself in that position. And I'm sure all of those guys felt guilt for leaving you. And then you vanished. And they're trying to explain this craft. And they're trying to explain. And if I was a law enforcement at that time, I would look at these guys, especially that Dallas character. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, one of these guys killed Travis. Yeah. And we're going to find yeah. out real quick who it is. Well, because, you know, one of the fundamental questions in the polygraph series was did you have any harmful intentions toward Travis and a few days before that we had actually got into a physical fight you know he was going to flunk that even though he did not kill me you know it would make him look guilty so you know that led to quite a bit of conflict between him and law enforcement people and uh, so you know to to picture what they went through you know John uh, you know traveling down the street and having people yell out where'd you hide the body and you know yeah. murderer and that sort of thing to you know imagine steve you know his own mother thinking that he might have killed me because it was easier to believe that a murder had occurred than that such a thing could be right. encountered yeah and so once he passed the lie detector test he goes through and says see i told you we didn't murder him and uh and uh, she says well okay Maybe you, you did see something, but it's it wasn't aliens. It was demons. If you really don't want to believe something, you, you, you'll find an answer for something. Find, yeah, yeah, you'll find a way to concoct a reason not to believe it. Yeah. And that's why I say my heart goes out to those guys because I can put myself in that position and trying to convince. Um, there's even a scene in the movie, and I and I don't know if it happened in real life or not. You know, you have to take all that with a grain of salt. But we're, oh, Mike's wife. Mike was your good friend. At least in the movie, that's how they portrayed it. You guys were good buds. And his wife almost questioning him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, was it his sister-in-law? Is that who? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and she was asking him. And I, and my, and when you watch that scene, man, your heart's got to go out to Mike because he's, he's telling the truth and no one believes him. Oh, yeah. Even his loved ones don't. And some of my family accusing them of. Uh, your brother didn't, wasn't yeah. your brother? One of my brothers was uh, thinking that they had uh, committed a murder. So, uh, the whole question of murder hanging over the, the thing to begin with is just really put the community in a panic that, and added to the pressure for these guys that was just yeah. over the top. So, like, you know, how do you deal with such a thing? It's uh, nothing like anybody they've ever heard of. Uh, uh, Dr. Harder, you know, pointed out that if you had um, 
six people come in and say that they had witnessed a murder and they're all telling the same story, that's practically open and shut. And if these six people all pass lie detector tests, I mean, that's that's good enough to convict somebody of murder and and be have them be uh, given the death penalty. Yeah. But somehow when it involves aliens, oh, well, no, well, you know, they still, <laughs> it's not good enough. Yeah. And so it'll never be good enough. You know, for, no, for, for people who don't want to believe it, they'll always come up with Well, you know what's fascinating? I told you this earlier when you and I were talking, and um, I'll say it to you now. My dad was the biggest skeptic on the planet. He didn't believe in Bigfoot, didn't believe in aliens, didn't believe in nothing. And I remember I watched the the movie Fire in the Sky. My dad goes, oh, yeah, I remember back when that was on the news. I remember those guys. Um, and I asked him, I said, Dad, what do you think? And this, and my dad, father was the biggest skeptic on the planet. He goes, I believe those guys. I think what they said happened actually happened. And that, you know, I know it doesn't mean much to you, but it meant a lot to me because I was like, holy crap, man, this guy – my dad was skeptic, man. Hard-nosed skeptic. He'd be the guy saying it was swamp gas, it was uh, Venus, it was uh, lightning strikes. He was that guy. And I remember he was like, oh, yeah, I remember when that was on the news, yeah, when Travis disappeared. And he goes, I believe those guys. I think what he says happened actually happened. And I was so taken back by that. But it's such a compelling story because the minute you try and take apart the story— just like you and I were talking, it becomes ridic- It almost becomes more ridiculous than maybe what you said happened actually happened because you're trying so hard to explain away. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, well, you know, back then, um, the, uh, anybody who believed in life from other worlds, was they fit into what was, you know, pretty much generally recognized as being a kook. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, based on actual science today... You know, you got to come face to face with the, with the, if if the definition of a kook is someone who believes something at odds with prevailing scientific opinion, it's the person who thinks we're alone in the universe who fits the definition of kook. I would agree. Yeah, because it makes no sense. You're right. Um, how did this affect you later in life? I mean, because you had to deal with I, because there's got to be PTSD from this. There has to be PTSD from this, from what you went through, all the nonsense with people thinking you. Well, you went on a vacation for five days, and I know you've had every dick in the world come along and say, "Well, you know, he's he's trying to make a buck. He's trying to do this." Beyond all of that, just the experience itself. How did that affect you throughout your life? Well, you know, I had to get on with my life and uh, make a living, and so uh, it it became a problem. You know, I, I think there were many times where I didn't get the job or the promotion just on account of uh, something that happened to me years before. So it was just, it, it's always been an ongoing battle, and uh, I think over time I'm slowly making some kind of progress in that regard in terms of people in immediate contact with my life and with the you know wider world in general and uh, like i said it's kind of my mission my goal in 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 going forward i certainly can't unlive it can't yeah. uh, change what happened so i've got to do what i can to just try to make something good come of it 
No, I understand. And that's very respectable, by the way. But um, I wanted the, – the other question I want to ask you is um, do you think the government's covering it up and why? And I almost seem like – it seems like a ridiculous question to ask because on the surface, you had, there were six of you guys, right? Was there six or seven? There were seven of us seven all together. Yeah. So you got seven guys who are out there in lumber <laughs> that get taken away in a ship, and you're telling me the government doesn't know about it. You know, it seems almost ridiculous to even think of a thing. But do you think that they're covering up, and, and do you have a feeling why? Well, I think um, the government definitely knows more than we do because they're collecting a lot of knowledge. Uh, they don't share with everyone but i don't uh, agree with people who think this automatically implies that uh, the government has some nefarious motive i really think for the most part uh, the motive is probably in our own best interest you know when i when i analyze all the reasons they might want to um, you know conceal what they do know it has to do with the fact that unfortunately um we do have uh, geopolitical enemies that uh, um, might be sort of discouraged from any um, temptation to launch a sneak attack or something if they uh, are uh, kept uncertain about what level of technology our government might have uh, recovered from some of these uh, uh, crashes or whatever. So... Um, I I don't believe that our government's in cahoots with some nefarious alien um, species that's you know slowly planning on taking over the earth. I think that's absurd. Um, so the government's more like a bystander. They know what's going on. They probably know more than we do, but they're not in bed with. What's going on? Anything that, you know, all these people say, they should just open the books and share with us everything, you know, just because they want to know. But you got to realize that whatever they share with the American public is automatically shared with our enemies, too. That's true. And it would be foolish for them to to uh, let that information out. Not not only what we do know, but the, the extent to what we don't know. Yeah. yeah, keep keep the enemy guessing, and and it gives you some degree of safety in that. Yeah, well, Travis Walton, everyone, um, I told the audience I would do my best to get an interview with them, and he was gracious enough to come in and and uh, retell the story. I know I played the interview of him talking about his encounter, and a lot of people were a little taken back. They were like, "Oh, that that wasn't in the movie." Well. Movies, uh, that's Hollywood, you know, when you hear the real story. Uh, but go to TravisWalton.com and uh, check out Travis's site. The other thing, too, is go to Amazon. Get uh, Fire in the Sky. I gotta... No, no, Amazon's not a good place. The only no. place to really get the book is from me at TravisWalton.com. TravisWalton.com, okay. Uh, any copies you might run into it on Amazon or just someone's used copy, and <laughs> usually overpriced. Like $175 for the book. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah, so get a copy from uh, Travis Walton, uh, his website, TravisWalton.com. Uh, just Google. It's the first one that comes up. But uh, Travis, it was an honor. I'm a huge fan of yours. And um, I think what you do now, you took a bad situation and turned it into something good. I think most people, not, if they would have gone through what you've gone through, they probably would be an alcoholic. I think it's human nature. 
but you've turned it around into something positive. And um, it was a huge honor to... Well, I think, you know, Sasquatch experiencers probably undergo a sort of a parallel kind of experience and maybe something that's happened uh, in the course of my fighting back against the skeptics uh, might be useful to people who've uh, encountered uh, creatures or, you know, things they can't explain out there. Yeah. Well, it was a huge honor having you on. Thank you again, Travis. All right. Um, Have a good one. Let's just say we're related, Biff. And that being the case, I got a little present for you. Something that'll make you rich. You want to be rich, don't you? Oh, yeah, sure, right. That's rich. (laughs) You're going to make me rich? (laughs) You see this book? This book tells the future. Tells the results of every major sports event till the end of the century. Football, baseball, horse races, boxing. The information in here is worth millions. And I'm giving it to you. Well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. And take your book with you. Don't you get it? You could make a fortune with this book. Let me show you. UCLA trails 17 to 16. It's fourth and 11 with only 18 seconds left in this game. I'd say it's all over for UCLA. Bet you a million bucks UCLA wins at 19 to 17. What, what are you, deaf old man? He just said it was over. You lost. Oh, yeah. Here comes Decker with a kick. It's up. It looks good. Falls. It looks very good. Field goal. UCLA wins. All right, Pops, what's the gag? How did you know what the score was going to be? I told you, it's in this book. All you got to do is bet on the winner and you'll never lose. Got a new sponsor for the show. It's MyBookie, uh, MyBookie.ag. They were kind enough to uh, approach me and say, hey, we like what you do. We think it's really cool. Um, and we'd like to be a part of it and sponsor the show. So I hope everyone gets out there. Check it out. My bookie. Uh, you don't have to be Biff. You don't have to commit Grand Theft Auto of a DeLorean and petty theft of a sports almanac to get ahead. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code Chronicles to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's my bookie. And don't forget to use the promo code Chronicles when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. MyBookie.ag. And if you're listening to it, um, thank you to MyBookie for approaching me for a sponsorship. It means a lot to me. Uh, Very cool of you guys to say, hey, we like the show. We want to be a part of it. You know, we think what you're doing is cool. So I hope uh, the listeners go out there. Check out MyBookie. I know I'll be uh, I'll be on there, and if everything works out like I think it is, I think I might give up podcasting and just take up uh, <laughs> gambling full time. Uh, it's very cool. They uh, they lay out the odds and uh, lay it all for it. It's almost like having a sports almanac. 
Uh, so I hope you guys check it out. My bookie. Thank you guys. Next up, I did an interview with Adam Davis and we talked about his recent expeditions, things that he's done. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the Neanderthal. We'll talk a little bit about um, the Orang Pendek and some of the different uh, adventures Adam's been on. It's been a while since he's been on the show. So I hope you guys enjoy my interview with Adam. Adam, how are you, man? I'm very well. I've had a really good time at this. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was a blast. I wish I would have saw. I wish I would have seen your presentation. Uh, you would have enjoyed it, man. <laughs> I would have taught you how to how to hunt a crocodile. We could do that if you want, Wes. <laughs> yeah, well, I wanted to talk because you know it's been a couple of years since you've been on the show. Uh huh. And uh, I, you know, I always love talking to you. You're always off yeah. to some adventure like Indiana Jones somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's been new with you? Or uh, you mentioned some expeditions. Do you want to tell us what's? what's yeah, I, I've been focusing because I'm I'm based in San Diego at the moment. I've been focusing. I think it's a good opportunity to do some research in North America, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about that if you, if you like. If that's all yeah, right. Please do. Please do. Yeah, a couple of things that really I think people would be interested in. Your listeners would be interested. One of them is uh, I did an investigation in an area called Port Chatham. Now, if you read about this, Port as in as in P O R T, Chatham as in C H A T H A M. Look it up, because it reads like something out of a Stephen King novel. Before I went there, only it's real. So the story is that between the 1920s to the 1950s, more specifically then, though, this was a thriving little fishing town in in Alaska um, of the Kenai Peninsula, and they were doing well. But then things started to kill them. And these things they describe, and you can look at this, this is an objective, it's not my slant, the hairy man. They talk about a Bigfoot-like creature um, wanting to kill them. So there's a guy, uh, Stephen Major, Extreme Expeditions, he asked me if I'd go in there as a tracker and, and, and do that. I mean, it's very expensive to get in there. It, you know, the boat alone cost $1,000 in and $1,000 out, so I wasn't doing it on my money, Wes. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> but... Um, it, and it was dangerous, you know, to go in. There was, a, there was a lot of talk from the Alaskans about it being a dangerous place and dangerous to get in, even with the water. So it, it was ideal for me. <laughs> it floated my boat. You know, I like to do things that um, other people haven't done before or have an area of adventure or mystery or explanation. You know, I like to go to places no one's ever crossed before with all these jungles and mountains. So this was something I could do, and I liked... I'd not been to Alaska, and I liked the frontier aspect of going to, 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 to this... Because no. there's nobody now, because the town was abandoned because of this, uh, you know, it, it, there's nobody... Um, there's nobody within 20 miles or so, at least. Interesting. This yeah. area. And I, and I thought it was a great adventure. Yeah. Uh, and people are like, oh, you shouldn't go there. Like, even when we got to Alaska, it's dangerous, man. That thing was... The, the ancestors of this thing could still be out there. Yeah, and before you go into it, I don't want to cut you off, Adam, but did yeah. it, was it killing people? Yeah, or did they allegedly. Think? Oh, okay. I allegedly. I mean, they, they were convinced enough... So the accounts go that this thing was killing people, so that they abandoned the town. This is the this is these are the accounts wow. that anybody can read. They said, you know what, we've had enough, and that was that was just the end of that. <laughs> so so it, I, it sounds uh, quite a bit. I mean, it's a bizarre story, and that's why it piqued my interest. You know, I'm not going to go and do stuff where 
many other people have been before. That doesn't intrigue me. I like to go somewhere where there's a new and cutting edge, and that, that was what I was about. Yeah, and that's fascinating. So when you got there, what did you find? I mean, was there anything that you uncovered? When, when I got there, the first thing is that the place does have a creepy vibe. But you kind of expect that in, in an area where there's um, a lot of old abandoned buildings, you know? Uh, and there's a lot of bears there. So it was very, very hard work. In fact, Stephen had, Stephen's a bit of a gadget man, and he'd, be, he'd, built all these, uh, he'd built all these perimeter things, you know, so if something come along, we'd be, we'd be uh, you know, we'd be, we'd be, oh, it'd like be a uh, spot. Alarms. Yeah, 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 like all this. He was being, and the only, <laughs> right, and he built that. We are good on him. He's a tough guy. It's hard, it was hard work. It was very intense yeah. uh, adventure. But the only time, the reason I'm laughing is the only time they didn't work was when I left them on his own to get the trail cams. And he was like, he comes back and he goes, damn these things. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was, a, it was a very intense little trip. I mean, you could tell that the wildlife, you know, when I go to remote areas, Nepal, Sumatra, wherever else, you see a big difference, a very obvious difference between the flora and fauna and how it behaves and reacts to humanity. And what does that mean in this context? So, for example, there was a lot of sea otters there. And what they'd do is they'd come in and <laughs> they'd stop, because I was on a beach area, yeah? So rather than the town itself, they'd stop and, and they'd look, you know, and they'd call these noises, otter noises, like, and then they'd be showing their babies, look at the humans, yeah? And yeah. then they'd swim off. So we were something of, of an interest to them. In terms of actual physical evidence with, with Bigfoot, I, the only thing that I thought was interesting, and I'd say no, I'd put it at this, that higher bar, was we're using some night vision equipment. I w- and ma- I made a call, and while I was using it, I saw something large move down the woods on the other side of the um, embankment I was on. I couldn't determine its physical shape, so I can't tell you that it, it's even possibly a Bigfoot, but I can tell you it was, it was an animal that was moving in response to my calls, my vocalizations and when, and then as it moved farther and farther down, I saw it pause and then it stopped and static, and, it, and you know, you can put two and two together sometimes and make five, but it almost appeared to be listening but other than that, there was nothing um, nothing in terms of evidence where I, I said, you know what um, that is something that really persuades me. It was a good adventure, a good investigation. He's going to go back there and do more research, but yeah, I enjoyed I need, it. I need to look up the history of that town because yeah. that, that is fascinating. I mean, like for it. everyone to get up and just go, it's and weird. there's this weird story about this hairy creature that's yeah. killing people. Uh, you know, there's always, even in myths, there's always some truth. You know? Yeah, and, 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 and the stories seem to be consistent. You know, yeah. I mean, I've not seen anyone refute it yet. Yeah. I mean, they may do, but I've not seen... It's always... Well, and the local Alaskans tell that same story, yeah. which was interesting. And I like the frontier element to Alaska. I mean, yeah. it's one of those places. I was sat um, in a bar, and, you know, I was just talking to one of the locals about some mountains I could see in the distance, and, he's, and I said, well, you've been over to those mountains? And he's like, no, probably nobody around here has been up to them. I'm sure somebody has, but, you yeah. know, there was that element that you just can't get, I don't think, in any other place. Yeah, it's very yes. untouched, very pure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you leave there and you went, was it North Carolina's where you did the... Yeah, I was, I was in, um, I, went to North Car- I went to North Carolina specifically because I've got a good friend, Mike Richberg, 
And I was interested in his account of what happened in the swamps with his father. Now, Mike's a good friend of mine, so I know him very, very well. He's not um, somebody who would deal in hyperbole. He's a decent guy. Yeah. And I believe him when he says things. And he was, he's told me a story for a while about... Um, when he was a teenager, he used, to go, he used to go out hunting with his dad, his daddy, as he would say in the South. Um, you're going to have to endure my southern accent. <laughs> but but um, he, he would go out hunting with his daddy, and um, he, when he was a teenager, they, I think they had dogs, and they were releasing dogs, they were, they were hunting hog. He saw a Bigfoot. He wasn't planning it, wasn't interested in the subject, but it was moving away, yeah? Obviously to get away from the, from the hunt. But he saw it moving, he said it was like a, a big gorilla. And it had the sagittal crest we're all familiar with and all your listeners. And it freaked him out. And, he, and it freaked him out so much, he didn't go into those woods for five years. And he used to oh. go in... He used to go in all the time, and it's his research area. And he saw one as well again I, I can't remember exactly but it was it was decades later in the same area so that and he was and he was out there a lot by that stage but he saw it once and that in and that interested me you know here's somebody who i think is it's not a will it's not a will first other people research the area but i believed in the veracity of his account because i knew him very very well and i wanted to research that and it was it was a lot of fun i mean <laughs> <laughs> there was, and we we did. I mean, the swamps there are, are hard going, you know, swamps in the, in that area. But it, it, it did make me laugh. There was one time when uh, we were out there, and uh, he was just joking around. But there's, we, we we were being quiet. We were observing, and we were in. Um, we, we were seeing what what wildlife was going to come along. And Mike turns around and goes, and we see a a pig. Well, a wild pig. And then Mike, Mike goes, that hog sure sure got a pretty mouth. And I said, don't be saying that. Don't be saying that, Mike. It sounds like deliverance. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, Did you guys find anything out there? No. I mean, no, I, mean I, I laid some trail cams down, and, uh, and, but there was nothing tangible. I mean, and I think, you know, that's a general point. There's two things I'd say. I'm very suspicious to people who go out on all their investigations and regularly find things. I don't care I how good they are. They're not yeah. going to find anything. It's very, these creatures are very, very rare, and you have to be extremely lucky. And also, it's important to have, uh, analyze the quality of the evidence that you find. So, for example, I was in Canada and uh, on Vancouver Island, and uh, the, I, I shot something through the floor. Uh, the night vision equipment, and it looked like um, something that had locomotion. But if I had released it, what it essentially was was a, a, a red blob in the distance and said, oh, you know, and I tried to say it, would, it was Bigfoot, that would be ludicrous. Right, right. You know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. And anything associated with Bigfoot, in order for it to be of scientific interest, it has to be of extremely high standard and you must get all the time i know i do so i'm sure you do photographs of bushes blobs yeah, all, all that time. yeah it's like man i don't and and, and it gets old it. you know sometimes that gets old because you know because when you actually run into one you don't have to sit and like squint your eyes and look at yeah. a picture you know you know it's there um i i do get those a lot yeah it is what it sure. is sure you know? and if you know and it, it, I'm just happy people are out there snapping pictures. <laughs> yeah, no, well, absolutely, and, and I, I think you know, I would, I would quite happily. 
I think you're absolutely right to make that point. It's quite important to snap as many pictures as, as you can because you don't know what you're going to get. Right. But if you do get a black blob, right. then don't get all hissy if somebody says, well, I, all I can see is a black blob. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. So this guy sends me this picture, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's low-lit conditions. And and I was like, oh, I was like, holy crap, when I saw it, I was like, wow, that it, it looks like it's squatting down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it looked like wide shoulders and it was squatting down. And um, he goes, yeah, that's a pretty amazing picture, isn't it? And he was kind of smirking a little bit. And I was like, yeah, it was like, a, you know, you don't see all the details, but there's definitely, there's something large sitting there. Mm. He goes, it's a tree stump. Uh, and he goes, uh, he goes, the tree stump, uh, he goes, the reason why I took a picture of it is because it looks just like a Sasquatch squatting down. And it did, it had the form. It's like one of those rare yeah. trees. It had like the form of it. And mm. um, it even had like moss coming off. So it looked like it had a little hair on the shoulders and, mm. Uh, but I started laughing. He's like, yeah, it's a tree stump. He's like, you know what? So he goes, I saw it. And he goes, I thought it looked like a Bigfoot. thought I'd snap a picture of it. But he doesn't post it and say it's a Bigfoot. No. He, he lets you know it's a tree stump. But. Well, that's good. At least he doesn't try to make out of yeah. something. <laughs> it's it's just kind of funny. It's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that one picture on the internet of that that tree and it's got the arms yeah yeah the, exactly you know what i mean, mean. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes you can see anything Absolutely. and something you know but well, i didn't mean to cut you off no it's totally fine i mean it, but the, your point is a good one because it's, it's that pareidolia thing is part the human brain wants to see patterns right uh, and so you want to see those things but but isn't it, it's an important point so you know with you must have done it well i've done investigations and, and it's a bit depressing if you hear every strange noise and somebody goes next to you it's a bigfoot you know, you just think, oh, it's going to be a long night, yeah? Yeah. Bigfoots are extremely rare. It's almost certainly not a Bigfoot. And in order, b- before you even think about that conclusion, your starting point has to be, what else could it possibly be that's far more plausible? When you hear a noise or when you see um, a tree structure, for example. I have, I keep seeing people sending me tree structures. And then yeah. you look at the just basic research. You look at the, oh, there's a tree structure. Well, where was it? Well, how far were you from your your car i was about 10 minutes you know and you find out there's a load of boy scouts and right, <laughs> right. don't tell me it's a bigfoot you know right you've got to physically see these things uh, you, you know if you if you see um a bigfoot physically making it then you can say it's a bigfoot right until then you can't yeah and i don't want to discourage people from going out there and snapping pictures though like you said man i'm, I'm happy people are out there and keep snapping away because one day it's going to take one of those people that's going to get it you know what i mean yeah and I, and I think again I, I agree with you i think that's a good point i think it's it's far more likely to uh, there's never an ego thing for me i don't care who finds it as oh, long yeah. as we get the evidence uh, i think that it's far more likely for some the person who is most likely to get some really interesting evidential point is somebody who hits one and by accident on the car yeah or somebody who's out walking with their kids one day in the forest and they take a great picture which is worthy of further scientific research not us guys creeping around in the woods because they're so, you, i think there's i think that's more realistic there are so many people wandering around you know yeah. that's the likeliest especially these days with camera phones you know yeah. everyone's got a camera with them haven't they so that's the most likely scenario yeah i would agree with you and i, I was laughing at your expedition thing because i went on a property one time and we're walking down the trail and the homeowner he points to two sticks and he goes you let's see that and i look down the ground i go yeah he goes bigfoot did that 
And I was like, it's going to be, I thought when I started, like, I was muted out. No one could remember, but I was laughing when he said, it's going to be a long night. That's the first thing that I thought it was going to be. It's, it's going to be, be a long, long day or, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, and I've had, I, I, I had someone on, I don't, I, I normally, I, I'm normally very careful about who I go on expeditions with, but I was, I was, I was meeting this group of people and I was invited along just for an hour or two to be sociable. I'm not going to name them because they were nice people. Yeah. But this is a classic example of, uh, i give you a classic example of, people, of somebody wanting something. And, and this woman was there. She said, I can see, I can see eyes shine. I can see eyes shine. I was like, that's the moon. And she said, no, it's eyes shine. And she's getting a bit angsty with me. And I physically, in a nice way, led her over to away from the trees and pointed her physically at the moon and said, look, there's the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <And> I was <laughs> like, <laughs> it, was, it was Bigfoot, you know? I think sometimes with people, I think what ends up happening is maybe a little PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, like they've had an encounter. Mm-hmm. And so when they hear something, that's Bigfoot, you know what I mean? Because yeah. they're immediately, they, you know, you get charged. It's like the guy coming back from Iraq and he hears firecrackers goes off and all of a sudden he's right there and he's freaking out over nothing Mm -hmm. and i kind of liken that to some of these people i think um i don't think it's intentionally like i don't think it's an intentional feeling for them uh, to say oh that's bigfoot that's bigfoot no i think in their mind they feel that way but i think it's almost like i don't know what i'm trying to say you know what i'm trying like ptsd like they've had an encounter and now they hear something and so they start freaking out again. You know what I mean? Yeah, could be that. I don't know. No, I, I, I think, I, I think most people don't um, don't go into it with the intention of frauding. I think there no. are some yeah. who do, yeah, uh, for whatever nefarious reason. But I, I just think that they're excited. Yeah, and, and, and that's what happens. You go out there, and, and they want to find. They want to come back with something. Yeah? Right, right. But, but I think that field researchers who do it a lot who are dedicated know that that's very very unrealistic or i hope they do yeah i i in my life i've done this stuff for decades and i can only think of you know three times when when i had something happen that was significant in all those years and and that's the norm you know i i was talking earlier on during my uh, my presentation I think I mentioned the fact that when I was in Mongolia, I've been, I made a couple of expeditions in Mongolia, one to the desert and one to um, the western side near Kazakhstan. And one of the times I was there, I was speaking to this guy who was responsible for a wildlife conservation area, and he said, you know, we, you know we've got clouded leopard here. And I said, well, how often have you seen them? Because obviously they're very rare. He said, well, I've seen them once in like 30 years. <laughs> Is. Wow. You know, and, 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 and I think that that is far more a realistic a proposition. You know, you, you, you were very blessed, and, uh, and I'm glad for you. But it's, it's extremely, extremely hard to see these things, isn't it? Yeah, I would agree with you. And, and, and that speaks to the simple fact of how do most encounters happen? They happen by accident. Yeah. Absolutely. Rarely have I had a researcher that's like, yeah, we were in the heart of it, you know, and all of a sudden it came charging at us. And you never hear those stories. No. What you hear is I was out hiking. I was out hunting. I was out camping. And I ran into it. And But I don't know. You and I disagree on the rare thing. I don't think they're quite as rare as most people might think because that or more and more people are starting to see them or their population has grown. Something's going on because 
more it seems like more and more people are seeing them i do believe that they're rare in the sense that they're not stupid and they're generally won't walk into your trap they're too smart for it well yeah i agree with that i mean the short answer is we don't know and right both, absolutely and both, you're absolutely right both of absolutely. us are speculating I mean, while you were making that point one of the things i was thinking about just then is is how some species can adapt and the classic example um is, is a leopards in in india which have adapted very well to human urbanization and encroachment and have become very effective in it you know if i think of my own country britain foxes so there are some creatures that can adapt, and that might be a possibility why people are seeing them more. But it's all, it's all just fun guesswork, really, at this stage. Yeah, right? it is. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's like I was saying, no one has one in their garage or studying, so... No, no. Um, tell us about the San Diego... Was it San Diego Zoo? Yeah, I, mean, I think this is, a, this is a... Again, this is an interesting story. So uh, Cliff was contacted by someone at the zoo. Uh, to set the scene, uh, the zoo is one entity, and... Uh, and that's right in the heart of the city of San Diego. But there's a wildlife park, which I think off the top of my head is about 40 miles away. And it's not in an urbanized area. It's not true wilderness like Alaska, but it's on the edge of the Cleveland National Forest. And that isn't a forest, just so people know. It's more sort of scrub. San Diego is very dry for right. those people who yeah. don't know the area. And, and so it's more like that. And basically... <clears throat> I'm still investigating this, so this is still ongoing, but I like the fact that this was... Um, they, the guy who was my contact, he, he was involved in security at the park, and he had... They'd had encounters where they'd heard strange screams at night, and they'd... Outside the perimeter of the park, and then, like, stones and things like that had been thrown as well. And, um, and they, they'd found it very very strange very very strange indeed and uh, they really weren't sure what was going on they then had the strangest thing of all happen which was that there was a woman who who worked at the park who will remain none of these these people right now will remain anonymous but she worked at the park and it was three in the morning and she was going and he took me to the spot where this woman allegedly saw something and she was she was wondering in a car over to, to, to the wildlife park to start a shift and across the road on all fours she saw a gorilla outside the park outside the park a gorilla-like creature boom, 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 boom and I've got the record at the time but it freaked her out and she contacted the zoo and they counted all their animals but, you know, they, imagine escape gorilla but, but None of the creatures had had, um, had escaped, and she got some stick, you know, for it. But I thought that was a very interesting. And that was in the Cleveland. It was just where the wildlife, right where the safari park is. Oh, okay. So, so right, you know, the wildlife safari park. It's only about a, where this happened is about a mile away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously they have the you know that I thought that was an interesting encounter, and, and there there are a couple of things that I'd say to add to it why I think it's even more interesting. The first one is this is an obvious one in the sense that this is somebody who is um, well familiar with seeing great apes very regularly. Yeah? yeah. So it's not, not to denigrate anyone's account, but I think that adds credibility to our account. The second thing is that this is somebody, there are no bears. You know, the classic thing is, is it a bear? And, and, and sightings of bears 
do not occur around here. Yeah, I, you know, it's not. A, I know there may have been bears wandered in occasionally. I'm sure from other areas, yeah. but this was somebody who. Well, bears are virtually non-existent here, and this was somebody who works for a wildlife park who clearly saw a gorilla at three in the morning. Interesting. Did she give any details about the face, or was there any details that stood out to you beyond it was just looked like a gorilla? It, it was walking on. It was walking. You know what she said. What he said. Cause this is all, yeah. he, it was walking on its knuckles. You know that sort of thing. Mm. And she saw it, and it and it moved along and looked. She didn't catch a very good look at it, but it was enough for her to be a convinced it was a gorilla and b to officially alert the zoo authorities wow. yeah that is so that it's is significant a, yeah very significant i i think and i and i think that's an important important so have you gone back to that area yeah i have yeah and i and i intend to do more research there with him i've had some he's he's been moving around on his shift so it's been quite difficult to get some time but i want to do some more stakeouts with him and things like that and see what we can do you, find now that you're in san diego do you ever go down south um and go uh, down by the. Have you ever talked to the border patrol agents down there? I have. To, I've spoken to one of them. I mean, yeah. I, I haven't. I haven't. Um, I've worked on the border on the U.S. side. Yeah. I had a whole trail camera. I didn't mention that to you no, earlier, I did I? Know, no. I had a whole trail cam project uh, on the border, and this was because um, your question is a good one. Because the border patrol, there's a, a guy who bo- wrote a book. I can't yeah, remember his Rocky name. Elmore. Yeah, Rocky yeah. Elmore. Yeah, and we spoke about that last <laughs> yeah. time. And you mentioned him to me. So I messaged Rocky um, not long after we spoke, the last time I spoke to you. And I went and set some trail... It's a bit of an edgy area, you know, some of that border area. It is. So, so I, 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 but I, I, I was like, I'm interested. I'm gonna, so I set some trail cameras up along the border and worked on the US side of the border. I've not been to the Mexican side. Yeah. But um, I did set trail cameras, but I didn't get anything interesting on them but i did work the area because as you know the border patrol reported on several occasions according to rocky seeing like what looked like large bipedal creatures including one time when they were following them on the infrared yeah and that's actually documented in in an official report and they told them not to write sasquatch in that thing but they said you, you they went and reported it and there were several witnesses to it the other thing down there too i find more fascinating than that uh, because you're right, Adam, and for people who don't know that area, 100% right. It's like scrub brush. First time I ever went down there, I was like, no way, mm-hmm. no way. But I guess we're seeing New Mexico and deserts, so, you know, what do I know? But anyway, I um, they talked about the devil dog mm. and how this devil dog type creature would harass the guys. And one guy actually quit. I think I told you that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. And uh, But there's weird stuff down there, man. There's one area where um, it's like the only oak tree probably within 200 miles. Mm. And you come down this one area, and it's just, and I did a whole video on it, but you come down to this one area, and there's this oak tree. Just in, I mean, it's so out of place for that, that environment. And I guess there's all kinds of paranormal stuff that goes on down there. You know, they've, they've pulled in there and seen bodies hanging from the trees. Yeah, it's a very strange place. I mean, and, and to go to the physiology, because I've thought about it as yeah. well, and I, I think, you know, what you've got in that area is hundreds of square miles of, of scrub and desert going right. on to Anza Barrigo, which is, which is not very well populated. Right. You've got many accounts going back hundreds of years of, 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 of Bigfoot-like creatures from yeah. the local natives. And, of course, the, the, the local population did survive in that desert, and large mammals like the, 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 the bighorn sheep do survive in that yeah, desert. Right. So 
Uh, and there are caves, and there are cave systems. So I was like you when I first got there. I was like, well, how much? And then I was thinking, well, actually, if I equate the the you know based on my own experience, there's a lot of stories about almas in Mongolia yeah. living in very similar terrain to the one I'm seeing here. So if there are small populations and they're prepared to do a lot of migration to look for resources, then it's not implausible at all. Yeah, you know, I, I, Igor uh, was here. He's the uh, Russian yeah. uh, Bigfoot researcher for the audience listening. Um, and I wanted to, the one question I want to ask him, and you probably know this because you've actually been there. Yeah. Uh, when they, people talk about the Almas, is it night and day compared to how we describe Bigfoot? It's very different. I mean, I, I've actually, I don't think Igor's been to Mongolia. Um, I've actually been and done the research there, uh, yeah. and that's not to denigrate him, but he just hasn't. Yeah. So uh, I did a big survey of the Almas. I'm going to give you a long answer because I think you'd be interested yeah, in the long absolutely. answer. So what I did was when I went to that western part of Mongolia, I went from um, all the way down from the, the southern tip of it all the way up to the northern area. And there were lots of stories about it. But, you know, for example, there was a mountain of the Almas, and you oh, know, really? I, yeah, and I thought I'll go there, but people had not heard of any recent accounts. And I, eventually, I pinned it down. This is a long story behind it, but I, 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 to a small area around Hovd, H-O-V-D, um, which is um, where I, I did a filming for a, a National Geographic film called The Last Living Neanderthal. And there only seemed to be maybe 100, 200 square kilometers around there where there'd been any recent sightings and evidence. And what they describe is is a bipedal creature. Um, it was very primitive. I, I spoke to this hunter called Ulzi, and he'd seen it. And, it, and, you know, to him it was almost like a large monkey-like creature. It was stood up on, on two legs, and it freaked him out because it had a human-like face, and that, but ran away on, you know, on all fours. Yeah. It seems very primitive, but it doesn't seem to have the same depth of musculature and physiology as the North American one. So it's a different creature in some ways. Yeah, I think so too. And, and, and I've always thought that because when you hear people describe the Almas, they, it's almost more like a caveman. Yeah. And when they're describing, um, and maybe I'm wrong, but and you know when people talk about Bigfoot, they talk about it being more of hairy, uh, very primate-like, non-human primate. Um, but it seems like with the Almas, and you'll have to correct me on this, but no, it seems like with the Almas, uh, it's very human. Well, it, it can be. I mean, I, but I think I think there's a wider point, and it's one I made in my presentation, which goes to what you're saying, and it's this: we used to think, you know, that there were, you know, you remember when science class? I think you're roughly the same age as me. Yeah, you know, I think we're a little bit younger. I think twenty-seven. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but you you know it used to be science class and there was this picture and you're familiar with it this knuckle dragon creature and um, we we and then there were, and it gradually progressed and progressed and progressed and then the epitome of uh, of, uh, of, of, of of all things was was us. We now know that there are many different types of of, of hominid hominim. You know, the many different times that which coexisted, coexisted with us for, for nearly all our existence. Not just Neanderthal, Denovisian, the, the, the deer people, Flores man, I'm not going to go on, but yeah. many, many different, many different types, you know, 20 odd human species that we know of probably. And all I, I ever said or suggested was in different isolated pockets in remote areas, could these things still exist? 
we don't now doubt that they did exist yeah. in coexistence with us could they still exist and there's going to be regional variants there's going to be differences just in the same way as we're very different and, and if you look at the great apes gorillas are very different to orangs yeah? yeah and i've seen both in the wild so it's not remotely implausible it's just unlikely and, it, and, and it's about gathering evidence i gotcha and it, are the, is the behavior with the almas the same type of behavior we're seeing in the united states one of the things I've noticed with uh, the creatures in, in that area, and, and also it goes as far as the Yeti in Nepal, you know, I've done expeditions to Nepal, um, is that they often talk about uh, them emitting a whistling, a high-pitched whistling sound, hmm. which I find quite interesting. You know, we, we, you talked about the classic Bigfoot-type encounter before, um, but what we're talking about there is this whistling yeah, this whistling... I can't even do it now. I don't make, it, make you deaf. But the classic encounter there is, is, is a farmer. He's, he's, on the, he's on his high end of his, of his pastures, yeah, grazing. And he, and he hears this whistling and he looks around and he sees one of these creatures. And he's struck by the fact that it's moving on two legs. It's got this sagittal crest and it emits this whistling sound and, he, and it freaks him out. So, so they have different types of behaviours. I mean, none of them have got super sophisticated i mean let me say this if if any of them were regularly using fire mm. they would act as a beacon to extinction because hunters would see the fire right and, and they'd be very soon tracked down yeah. and wiped out back so they i don't think they're they live in super sophisticated societies nor do i think they're having magical powers to help humanity yeah i i think that they are probably more intelligent than great apes but not as intelligent as us. Again, it's guesswork. It's, yeah. it's guesswork. But if you're asking me to pin down where they are, I don't see any evidence of tool use more sophisticated than, say, chimpanzees. Yeah. And even having said that, chimpanzee can be very smart. Very, very, very yeah. smart. Very, very smart. And, you know, there's a classic thing that you can see on the internet where a chimp lights a fire and roasts, roasts some marshmallows with a twig. Oh, no, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's like the great apes. You ever seen the great apes where they're... Um, taking apart um, poachers traps oh yeah and they'll bring young ones to watch them do it I mean absolutely that's intelligent well I've seen as I say I've seen them in the wild I've watched their behavior they're, they're, they're extremely bright we, we, we tend to underestimate them but yeah. we, we, we as modern humans underestimate all our cousins and even ancestors so for example Neanderthals let's talk about that Neanderthals were uh, sophisticated they had music they had art they mourned their dead and we now know i mean this is a good example about science moving on one of the things i mentioned was and it goes to that film was that in it professor todd disatel he basically says um you know did humans and animals did humans and neanderthals um have sex almost certainly uh, men aren't not that discerning, you know. Um, obviously, we don't like women with hairy backs, but not all of our ancestors <laughs> yeah. did. And then he says in the film, "Well, you know, was their prodigy, was their uh, children as a result of these unions?" And he says, "Almost certainly not." Really? Now we know, yeah. Can this you say is, why? Well, he just doesn't think they, that They're it happened. Compatible? Yeah, yeah they were genetically compatible. We now know that's not true. And in fact, Neanderthals are very prevalent in our genes. You know, I met up to three or four percent. I met somebody who had a very high level of, 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 of Neanderthal DNA because you can do all this testing these days with the genetics. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure um, 
you know, my, my, my ex would love to have said that I had like 50% the answer. <laughs> you know, it's, but it's, it's one of those things. It's, um, it's prevalent, yeah? So yeah. that's a really good example of how science changes and reacts and adapts to circumstances, depending yeah. on what we do. And, and it's strange, though. You know, with um, Sasquatch, you'll hear reports almost like they have some sort of culture which I guess isn't too far off. I mean, even Coco cried over her kitten being killed. Um, you know, so there is mourning. There is, but I think you're right. They're not at the level we are. I mean, no one's made you, the quickest way to, like you said, light a fire. It's a great beacon to show everyone where you're at. Yeah, just be wiped out. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Species can have some sort. Of, it could be. You know, if they were a Neanderthal relic, they would have to have had a very big cultural recession for it to happen I think they're more likely to be somewhere in between uh, the, uh, the great apes and us somewhere yeah? yeah on that lineage I don't exactly know where and it may be different in different well, places well I don't think you're too far off because what witnesses always say <laughs> yeah it looked like a man and an animal yeah I mean you hear that constantly absolutely absolutely and I, I think I, you know I would hope a discovery is made sooner rather than later because it's just intellectually fascinating what's your favourite cryptid um, my favourite one is probably a Orang Pendek because really? I spent so much time looking for it, and I know, I know, it's. I just, just worry about it. I mean, I, I'm not like I, it's going extinct. Yeah, no. well, with with Bigfoot, I don't think there's any danger of it going extinct right now. I don't yeah, feel I that. Uh, with with the Orang Pendek, um, there's a possibility, and I, and I give an example which I found personally shocking. And it was one time I was going through the jungle and I was going on a jeep. And I was just driving along on the trail. And uh, it was great, you know, we, just, we were just chilling along on the trail. And then um, I came back to that same place five years later and all of that area, which had been virgin rainforest, was just devastated and just palm oil, you know, just so people can have cheap peanut butter. That's so, crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 and, and there's another thing as well. You've got a lot of, in that area, you've got a lot of uh, human pressure. So what do I mean by that? You know, I have a, ch- I, I get married, I have children. Yeah, they have three children. They have three. Well, I have three sons. Where do they get their land from? They cut down a bit more jungle. You see, mm. there's a lot of pressure there, and and it's and I do, we can speculate about uh, how rare. Uh, Bigfoot might be in North America, but I do think that the Orang Pendek is very rare and very, very real. And I worry about the the level of deforestation in the area. I don't want it to die out. I don't want its habitat to die out um, before we can find some evidence of it and maybe uh, work harder to create a park in that area yeah. to protect it. What, what as far as the Orang Pendek, what's when people come to you and say, "Adam, I've seen it." What do they generally say? I realize every account's going to be a little bit different, but what do they how do they generally describe what they've seen? Common characteristics would be uh, it has it's small. So, no normally no higher than about 5 feet. And it has a very large torso, yeah? So very very large. I mean, they often talk about it being robust. And obviously, it's in Sumatra, so it's in Indonesia, but the closest thing people who've seen pictures of, because they won't have seen one in the wild, often describe it looking almost like the same physical structure as a chimpanzee, Hmm. only with a human face. And, you know, often they startle it, it's eating or foraging fruit, and it runs away. 
but they're struck about how physically powerful it looks. It's not really aggressive. I, I only ever heard of one account of, of possible aggression, and that was when um, I was with the king of, 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 of a tribe there, the Sukuanak Dalam, and he said one had, had him and his son had surprised one and it was aggressive and it went looking for him and they hid from it but every other account has been farmer on the edge of the jungle it's eating fruit or it's or it's broken into a barn to look for it, it likes the sugar cane yeah yeah so they'll eat that and then they've startled it and then it's run off is the behaviors the same as far as um uh, throwing rocks and the other question I want to ask you well behavior first as far as what well, we like with Sasquatch you know what is your typical behavior it's going to throw stuff at you mm-hmm. it's going to throw crap at you it's going to bang on trees it's going to these are what we assume Bigfoot does but that's one question I want to ask you the, the, the follow up to that is what about vocalizations like how does it vocalize it, it's, it's vocalization is higher pitched uh, than the than the, than the typical thing that we hear in the Bigfoot but it's a smaller creature Yeah, uh, it, it does vocalise uh, you know when I've been out there how many times have I been to probably eight times I was in that jungle and it, you regularly hear these high pitched uh, noises from it like um, screams yeah I, I think it's probably fairly solitary and I think that's one of the ways it communicates it not, uh, nocturnally yeah, mm. to, to other ones and you can hear you can hear a call from, from you know if you're out in the jungle you can hear and I, I've often been out with expert trackers who are very used to, to, to the animal the local animals in the area and you, you can hear from one side uh, I was often at a lake going to Tuja and you'd hear from the odd vocalisation from one side to the other as these things move towards one another yeah so, so it, I don't think it communicates that way but I haven't heard any evidence Again, it's. I don't think it's. There's no rock throwing or anything else like that. Really? No, not normally. I not. I, I can't remember any accounts of that nature. Do you see any similarities with this creature and the North American Sasquatch, or is it? And I don't. I'm saying they're the same creature, but it, do you see similarities with them, or is it just night and day? Two separate. Well, I, I think they they may well be distant and re- related. But let me answer it. Let me answer you this way. I mean, I wrote something for a edge science magazine uh, an article entitled new primate species in sumatra and in that i uh, i i said you know i speculated well this creature is an example of bipedal parallel evolution so the orang a tang which is not known in that part of, of sumatra i think it probably evolved to walk bipedally yeah. nothing particularly stunning about that yeah um, Bigfoot, I think, is probably something else completely different. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating, man, trying to keep up with you and what you're doing. you have anything else that you've been doing? Uh, I think the, the, the main thing... <laughs> that was a lot, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think uh, you know, right now at the conference, I, I launched my Adam Davis, D-A-V-I-S, my life story, Adam Davis Explorer, which you can find um, if you go into Corridor Pictures. Uh, corridor13pictures.com you can order that the DVD it, it, it shows a lot of uh, of my motivations and a lot of the expeditions I've been on and why so that I think that it, you know people who'd like to follow that I'll have to check good. it out what was the website it's corridor13pictures okay uh, if you go on there there's some stuff with Bob Bob Gimlin who also appears in the DVDs brief yeah. cameo and I know you're very friendly with Bob and he's a super nice guy I really like him and within that um, is my is my DVD? 
Oh, interesting. I'll have to pick that up. You'd like it. I'd seriously. like to see that. Yeah, I always like the stuff. I mean, yeah, the audience it. knows Adam Davis. I mean, he's been on Monster Quest, and I've I watched the um, what was the one you said um, the Neanderthal, um, the Last Living Neanderthal. I watched that. Not, not Geo. That was. And there was one. What was it? Your your guide was getting drunk or something? Oh yeah, that was, was Last Living Neanderthal. I was dying. He had a like, few drinks. I want to go sit and hang with that guy. <laughs> well, that that's typical Mongolia, you know. That's yeah. that's what they like to do, and and you know. People can sometimes say, oh, wow, somebody's had a drink. Well, you know what? If you're out with a load of Mongolians in the jungle, then they're going to want a drink. And oh, yeah, just, absolutely. That is just like totally how they roll. When and wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they like doing that, and that's, um, that's um, a lot of fun, yeah? Yeah. No, it is. Well, Adam, I appreciate you coming on. I always love uh, talking to you. I hope uh, people go out and check out your DVD, and you're welcome back anytime, brother. It was great uh, seeing you, man. It's lovely seeing well, you. What was your favorite part of the conference real quick? I like what I liked about about the conference was that it was a rather sort of gentle and sweet tribute to Bob. Yeah, I I thought that was I thought that was nicely done. It wasn't brash. It wasn't flamboyant. It was. Let me say this: when I when I I spent some time with Bob, you know him very very well. Uh, but I spent some time with him in January. I spent just a couple of hours in, in a restaurant, me and him just talking, and I didn't talk to him about the Patterson-Gimlin thing yeah. at all. I talked to him about anything else but that, so I could understand him better. And I think that, um, you know, people often say, well, this was these two minutes of his life or whatever. But there's so much more to him, and he's done some other remarkable things in his life. He's always somebody that's pushed boundaries, challenged himself and tried to make the best he possibly could. And that's got, it's got nothing to do with the Patterson-Gimler, and it's to do with, it's a general philosophical point about being the best person you can. Yeah. And I, I came away really liking the guy, and, I, and, I, I, you know, and, and then we've come to this event, and it's been, there's been a number of very good speakers, uh, yeah. uh, but the epicenter has been about paying tribute to, 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 to that guy. And I... And I I'm glad they did that. It yeah. was good. And it's not, it's, for me, it's nothing to do with the Patterson-Gimlin. It's just about It's funny you say rewarding. that. Because they're, they're, so I'm sitting over there by Bob yesterday, and uh, one of my listeners comes up, mm-hmm. and I'm like, have you met Bob? I mean, he's sitting right next to me. Mm-hmm. She's like, and he was talking to someone. She's like, no, no, not yet. I'm, I don't really know what I'm going to say to him. And I was like, oh, come on, I'll come around. And mm-hmm. she's like, no, no, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to, um, and she had been told me she rides horses. Hmm. So I was like, hey, Bob, you know, and I introduced him. Then I said, oh, she rides horses. And they must have sat there for an hour talking about horses. Yeah, there you go. You see Bob's eyes light up. Yeah. I mean, you want to, and you're right, you know, it's, it, there is, it's more, there's way more to him than just the Patterson Gimlin film. Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy watching that. I, when Russell first told me, was what was the name of that movie? Um, the last one. Yeah, I can't remember its name. Uh, I need to ask Russell. You have to ask Russ. He's going to kick my butt for not knowing. But anyway, <laughs> uh, when I was watching it, and they were talking about doing this animation thing, mm-hmm. and I was like, eh, I don't know how this is going to go. Yeah, you know, yeah. animation, you know, it's sketchy. It was really... It worked, didn't it? Yeah, it was awesome, yeah, it worked. man. It worked I loved really it. well. I would have been like you. I would have been like, is this going to look cheesy? Yeah. Like Scooby-Doo or right. something? It yeah, was really cool. It worked very well, I have to say. And I'm not saying that I'm not being paid by Russ and neither no, are you. Neither am I, or no, neither am I. Or anybody else, you know. If I we thought just, it was crap, I'd say. Yeah, we just say, we just speak our minds. Yeah. I don't care. No, I had it. It was good. Yeah. No, it was a lot of fun. And uh, 
Thanks again, brother. As All always. right, my pleasure, man. Let's Thank go you. get a drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when in Rome. And that was my interview with uh, Adam. A lot of fun to hang out with. A lot of fun. I want to thank Adam Davis. Uh, Adam, it's, uh, again, it's always an honor to have you on. Thank you so much. I want to thank Travis Walton for coming on. Cool guy. Very humble guy. Very nice man. Uh, Travis had a great time interviewing you. Thank you so much. I want to thank my bookie. Don't forget to use Chronicles to activate your offer. Let's show mybookie.ag uh, some love. I'll throw a link in the uh, description if you're listening to this on iTunes or your Android or you know your iPhone or whatever. Uh, you can click on it. Go right to the link if you want. Let's show them some love. They were so cool. I mean, <laughs> they were so cool to come to me and just say, hey, we like what you do. We think it's very, very cool. Um, until next time, everyone, remember, if you've had an encounter, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. I hope you get a chance to check out sasquatchchronicles.com. Become a member, get additional shows. Yeah, that's it. Have a great week. Thanks so much for listening. Something